0: It's time for your Texas Exes Black Alumni Network podcast. News, updates, and interviews with some of your favorite Longhorns. And now, here's today's show.
1: Hi, it's Chloe, your host, and this week's interview is with Fran Harris. She is your everywoman. We talk about anything and everything from life as a student athlete to entrepreneurship and the hardships and transitions that comes with it. Let's begin. Okay, so what year did you graduate actually?
0: Well, I graduated undergraduate in 1987 following my senior year as a basketball player at UT and then I pursued a master's and I graduated in 1991 from both from the School of Communication and Journalism
1: and how exactly was UT back then? Um, I'm a first generation college student so Mm. I don't really have that much interaction um, with some of the older alumni so I would love to know what was exactly the climate the campus back then.
0: Older alumni huh way to go Chloe that's (laughs) nice way to go (laughs) That's all good. Leave this (laughs) in. No, it. You know, in 1982, I got to UT. I was 17 years old, coming from Dallas, coming from an all-black neighborhood, all-black high school, and I'd played basketball in high school, so I'd been in white tournaments and you know integrated tournaments and those kinds of things. But coming to UT, where there were 50,000 students and one to two percent maybe of them were black, was was culture shock. And and even though I traveled a lot as an athlete just going into classrooms where you were maybe one of two black students and then 300 other students were there because because UT had a big international population as it does today as it always has. So it was culture shock but for me in a good way you know I, I felt like UT represented the world it, I really did I felt like well this is what the world is and so get used to it and learn how to, to navigate it and thrive in it and that was really my approach. I think some of my some of my friends who, who had come from Dallas and even from the same high school that I came from were like, oh, I don't like it here. It's just too many, you know, these kind of people. It's just too many, all that stuff. And they, they just weren't used to it, and I get that. But for me, it was about adjusting and saying, I believe if you have the goods, you can thrive in any environment. And that, so I saw UT kind of as my as my test market for the world. Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely, and that's crazy because I kind of had have- the same experience coming from all black high schools, all black elementary school, and then mm-hmm. getting to UT. And I'm like, oh, wow, um, is TSU still accepting people? <laughs> is it too late now? I yeah. remember that conversation. And um, UT definitely opened up the world for me. Uh, as someone who studied abroad and met people from all different cultures, um, I do think it's easier to sort of open up. But yeah. Once you get there, it is definitely a culture shock. So by the time I studied abroad, it was like, oh, I'm totally used to being the only person who looks like me in this room.
0: Yeah, you learn to find your voice. You do, that's what I liked about it. You you find your voice, you learn to, to adjust and adapt and become more inclusive because the reality is if you come from one perspective, one paradigm, even there, though there's diversity in the black community, There's a comfort level that you have when you're around your own folks. And so when you get in an environment where it's different from so many different perspectives, you will either sink or swim. And that's why I love even seeing our athletes today, even seeing some of the African-American students that I know and mentor on the UT campus today when they're struggling with, themselves and trying to figure out. OK, how do I fit in? How do I shine off the court in the classroom? I love seeing it and, and I said this is a this is a great laboratory for the world, so I think it's all good.
1: Was one of your primary reasons coming to UT the basketball program and the huge culture around celebrating athletics?
0: Yes, you know, when I came out of high school, recruiting in the NCAA wasn't what it is today. In fact, I was recruited under the old AIAW rules. It was the year before it became the NCAA, and so you didn't get the five visits to any school in the country, so you were kind of limited to where your family could afford to send you for your visits for school. And so when I looked at the opportunities that I had, I had the opportunity to go to Princeton, to go to Yale, to go to SMU, the University of Texas, and I think USC or Missouri may have gotten in there. And those were the five or six schools that I was seriously considering. So I wanted to go to Princeton or Yale because obviously it's Princeton and Yale, and the academics, the challenges I would have had there would have been there, but they didn't have a great basketball program. And basketball was really important to me. Sports were really important to me. I wanted the full experience. And so I said, well, I can eliminate Yale and Princeton because even though I'd get a great degree, I would play on a sorry basketball team, and that was just unacceptable to me. So then, then I started thinking, okay, where can I kind of get the Princeton-Yale thing, the experience, be close to home because I'm from Dallas, and get some of the basketball stuff, and that's when USC – Missouri, which had a great journalism and still has a great journalism school. And SMU came into the picture, right? Great little trio of considerations. And I was like, hmm, well, if I go to USC, I'm really far away from home. And I was very close to my little brother. My mom had died the year before I uh, was a senior in high school. So I was really close to my little brother. He was more like my son. California would have been a really long way from him. So then I started narrowing that, Now okay, then now we're looking at SMU and then the University of Texas. My, school, my sister had graduated from the University of Texas as well. And when I looked at the best of all worlds, it was Texas, hands down. When I went to, I pretty much committed to SMU, which means you, you're verbally saying, I'm going to come to your school. And then my brother called the coach at Texas and was like, my sister is going to open up her recruiting. We will come and visit. So I went to Austin, and when, as soon as I got to campus, I was like, yeah, this is me. This is me all the way. Like, yeah. So I had to go back, tell SMU that I wasn't coming to SMU. And that was hard because I was 17 years old telling these, you know, these ups, listen, I know I said I was going to come there, although I hadn't signed anything, but I think Texas is a better fit for me. So from a pure you know, standpoint of it being the best of the athletic world and the best of a great degree and a great city, Austin was hands down the best place for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And how did being a student-athlete shape your overall experience at UT? Like, what are the major differences than just me a regular student? I know being a student-athlete gives you that community. Yeah. Is it the same then?
0: It was. That's a great point. It does. It gives you a place to belong. And especially in an environment where you are such a, a minority from a number standpoint, it gave me a place to belong, but it also gave me the intangible stuff that I needed to succeed outside of basketball. So the confidence to, to have my own voice, to, to shine in, a, in a, a room of superstars, because when you came to the University of Texas, you, everyone had been the superstar on their high school team, right? Whether you're a male or female athlete didn't matter, but when you got to Texas, you were in a circle of other superstars. So now you really got to find your niche and find your way to stand out. So it gave me those things which have been invaluable in the business world. And so for me, it was like, here I am in a highly competitive environment, academically and athletically, and being an athlete and competing at the highest level in sports, Gave me the confidence and the self-assurance I needed in the classroom to succeed there as well.
1: Do you have any advice for athletes who want to become more involved in the academic side and get to know and step outside of the whole student athlete community and sort of reach out to those completely out of it?
0: listen the the bad thing about being an athlete is that you are so taken care of and you're so insulated that you really don't think you need the rest of the world (laughs) yeah and uh, you know and so i know like that's such a great question because you have everything you need over there in your you know your your academic center you've got tutors you've got mentors you've got coaches you've got food you never have to see the outside world and unfortunately if you don't extend yourself and make make that a part of your life when you graduate after four or five years, three or four or five years, then you don't have the skills. You don't have the social skills, the networking skills that you need to succeed. And that happens a lot to athletes is that they, they are phenomenal on their, on the court in their sports. And then you'll meet them at a professional thing and you're like, is this the same person who runs over people on Saturdays? Or is this the same girl who dunks a basketball or who kills it in volleyball? So we encourage our, even now, the, the folks I'm mentoring, I'm like, you got to, I know you're tired, I know your schedule's tight, but you've got to go to this networking thing. You've got to go out there and meet not just professors and other people on campus, but just networking with other students. That's the real world. So being an athlete sometimes creates this artificial world for you that doesn't really work in the, the real one.
1: Yeah, definitely. Just from uh, as a regular student they would go to separate dining halls, and I'm like, can we even really talk to them? How can we make this happen?
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You know, it's interesting, and, and you love it, and it's like the, sometimes the bane of your existence. I was speaking on campus last spring, I think in Dr. Harrison's class, and it's like 80 people in there. Maybe 40 of them were student-athletes and I was telling them stuff they probably did not want to hear, which was get out of your comfort zone, you know, go out and meet with people, stop saying you don't have time, you do have time, but I think they appreciated that because they know those relationships that you're going to build once you leave the University of Texas and you have that degree will be invaluable for the rest of your life. And so uh, the fact that they have social media kind of insulates them even more, right? Because now you, you just talk to people through your Twitter handle. That's what you do. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the next generation of student-athletes will do with the opportunities they have.
1: Definitely. And what about your transition after UT? I know you played professionally and then broadcasting.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew since I was nine years old that I wanted to be on television. My mom and I were watching television, and there was this woman who was anchoring the news in Dallas, and her name was Iola Johnson. And my mom and I were talking, and she said, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? That, That question that we always ask kids. And I looked at the television, I said, I want to do what she does. I didn't know that she was reading the news. I just knew that I could talk, I was a good reader, I could speak, and those kinds of things. So I knew I wanted to be in the communications field. And that's what I ended up doing. When I got to UT, I was very fortunate to intern in our media relations department. And Chris Plonsky, who's now the women's athletic director, asked me, you know, what do you want to do when you're not, when you're finished playing? And she asked me this maybe when I was a sophomore in college, uh, maybe a senior in college, rather. And I said, I think I want to, you know, broadcasting, radio, television or something like that. So she gave me the opportunity to intern my fifth year um, and learn to write better, learn to speak better, learn to speak in sound bites and those kinds of things. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I got the opportunity to do that a couple years after getting my master's at UT I sent my tape to ESPN. I had, Back in the day, before cable, there was something called cable access, which was like, and you probably can still see it on your cable channels now, it's like you'll see this really dark room with this old ugly green plant in the background, right? <laughs> that's, that's a cable access show, and a lot of the ministers used to do their shows on Saturdays and and on weekday night weeknights nights and those kinds of things and so we used to have a cable access channel where our games were brought broadcasted after I finished playing and I got a chance to really work out the, the kinks in my broadcasting persona and learn how to do color and a few years after that I got my first gig on ESPN it was either 1993 or 1994 so there I was you know 20 years, 15 years from when I told my mom that I wanted to be on television and I was on ESPN. And and that happened honestly because of the relationships that I had at UT, which gave me the opportunity to practice being a bad broadcaster so that one day I could potentially be a good one and a great one.
1: And can you recommend any specific resources um, for people who want to f- sort of follow your steps? I do know the National Association of Black Journalists and Hispanic mm-hmm. Journalists just recently mm-hmm. had their major conference. So, yeah.
0: Best thing I would say for, for anyone who wants to do whatever they want to do is to practice. You know, what's great about living now, if I had had the internet in 1993, 94, you know, and it, it did exist but not to the degree that it does now, I would have been doing my own show online. And so if you are listening and you want to be a radio personality or a television personality or whatever, just fire up your computer and do it. I mean, you've got YouTube, which is essentially television. So my recommendation is associations are great. I love NABJ. I love, I'm a member of SAG. I'm a member of AFTRA. All those things are great for professional development and networking. But if you want to do something, you need to do it. And I always tell people, don't be afraid to be bad at something if you're willing to work to get good at it. And that's what I did with television. And, you know, now I'm entering my 23rd year uh, being in national television. So you just got to be willing to be bad at it to ultimately get good at it. Yeah and how
1: exactly did you transition outside of sports?
0: Mm, I knew you know what's interesting is that I didn't start playing basketball until I was 15 years old and that's really old to start (laughs) playing sports right (laughs) because these kids start playing when they're five years old I mean they're three years old in a little league and so I didn't start playing until really really late and so I already knew who I was academically right so I already had confidence that I was a good student, and so basketball wasn't my identity. It was something else I did, and so transitioning for me is a little bit different, I think, than, than most people because I had an identity outside of my sport, but you do get, you do get comfortable. You do get complacent in the cozy confines of, of being an athlete, and sometimes, especially for guys, and, I, and we know this, especially for guys, they get a, a completely false sense of who they are. It helps, them, it helps them succeed on the court and on the field because they can be larger than life. and they can, But they get all this adoration and this adulation that when it's time to leave and they don't hear the cheers anymore and the paparazzi aren't following them, you know, the paparazzi's not following them anymore, then who am I? And so for female athletes, sometimes, you know, most of us don't go through that. We, we keep our feet firmly planted on the ground, most of us, because we know when we're done with our sports, For most of us, you're not gonna play sports. It's like that NCAA commercial that says, 90% of the people who play sports in college will not pursue professional, they won't be given the opportunity to play professional sports or whatever that is. So you gotta have your feet on the ground. And So for me, it was was fairly easy to transition. What was difficult is when you realize that your life has been so regimented, literally, you wake up as, as a student athlete, you have classes, you go to practice, you go to strength and conditioning, you go to, to study hall, you go to bed, you start all over. And that's your life, like for most of your life. And all of a sudden you graduate and your time is your own? It was crazy. And a lot of people go through, you know, depression and just making that transition is, is, is very difficult. And I I feel really blessed that I had a network of people that I that I was friends with when I was in college, and I'm talking about professional networks, people who mentored me, who helped me fina- you know, financially, setting myself up financially so I wouldn't have to work for the rest of my life, people who helped me, just introduced me to people. That's the piece, though, Chloe, that I wish every student really mm-hmm. took, took advantage of. It's just ne- the advantages that you have in terms of the network of the University of Texas. If you leave the University of Texas without a dozen people in your Rolodex who are change agents big time in their careers and big time in their industries and that was your fault because you were surrounded by greatness at every turn.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you think um, that sports background and being able to transition so well helped you become an entrepreneur?
0: I do. Again, the confidence, what you need to be successful in running your own company is the confidence to do stuff that no one else would do, the confidence to try things that most people would not try. And that's what you learn in sports. You learn in sports to push yourself beyond limits that you believe exist for yourself. You also learn that you don't get to your next level without a coach or a mentor. And those are the other things that you need to succeed in business. But mostly, I think the innovation and the the relationships that you develop when you're an athlete with your teammates and with your coaches and with people who have cheered for you for a long time, they give you the opportunity to build something special when you decide to launch an entrepreneurial venture. And so for me, you know, I... The first job i had really the only job i had was after grad school in addition to espn which was a freelance gig i worked for procter and gamble and i took that job for a number of reasons number one procter gamble is a fantastic company and i knew i would get the training i needed to start my own company so i was a sales manager for png and i kept i got promoted every like every six months i was getting promoted i, I loved what i was doing but i knew I was never going to be a lifer. I was never going to be someone who worked for someone else for 15, 20, 30 years. That was never going to be me because I knew I was entrepreneurial. You know, my spirit was a free free spirit, as people like to call me. It's like they know. I can't believe you even worked for Procter & Gamble knowing you. But it was great training. It was great discipline. It was terrific money. And more importantly, it gave me the pedigree I needed to start my own training and development company when I left in 1995. And so I haven't looked back. And I do have athletics to thank for the confidence that I had to to succeed in a big company like P&G and also to have the courage to finally leave to start my own thing.
1: And what would be your biggest piece of advice for someone who's graduated and, and is sort of kinda interested in starting their own company, but they're not really sure where to start.
0: Yeah, I would say number one, don't be afraid to work for someone else. Like if you listen to my story, I worked for Procter and Gamble, I had a very strategic plan. I knew I was going to go there and I was going to work there for maybe five to seven years. I ended up leaving after four, but I had a plan. So there's nothing wrong with working for someone. And maybe you're you're going to, to work in a company and help build a company and grow a company for the rest of your life. You know, for your 40 years or 50 years that you work, there's nothing wrong with that. But the path to true wealth and and ingenuity and innovation is as an entrepreneur. So if you also have that, make sure that you are feeding that part of you, whether it's in writing your own books and or doing your own stuff on the side, which is called moonlighting. But don't go to your grave with your genius inside of you. Don't give someone else, don't give someone else's company all of you. You know, just mm-hmm. till you're just dead tired, and then you wake up one day and you said, I always wanted to start my own bed and breakfast, but I never did. So. Nothing wrong with working for someone, but if you've got dreams, big or small, then you should pursue those as well.
1: Always. The rent is always due. But <laughs> That's right. That's right. But still keep chasing your dreams. Mm-hmm. Like I So can-
0: Washington said, um, you know, someone asked him about, why he was at some point he had done like eight movies in a year and he was on one of the late night shows. And they said, why? I mean, you're just doing it. You're going, you're doing his, you're doing that. And he said, well, the bill man do be coming. I mean, he said, Mr. Bill man do be coming. And so, you know, you take care of yourself financially, but at the same time, remember that life is more than just paying bills. It's also living your dreams.
1: Yeah. I see that so often with the rise of social media and you're sort of Trying to have the best Instagram feed and trying to look so glamorous, and there's like that shame in working for a living, but still yeah. trying to attain this sort of glamorous life you see on Instagram.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, the I mean, the great thing I mean, about social media, honestly, and the internet in general, is that it gives anybody with fingers and access to Wi-Fi an opportunity to build a brand the bad thing about living in today's society is that it gives anybody with fingers and wifi, the opportunity to build a brand, you know, so leverage it for what it can do for you. But, but honestly at the end of the day, building a company and building a brand is about having something that serves people and that people really want to be a part of and, 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 you know, want to buy your products and services. So that's what you're building, not just this temporary fame, and glamour that you think you have because you want to be like the Kardashians or some of these other folks.
1: And how can people reach out to you? Can people contact you if they have any more questions?
0: Absolutely you can follow me on Twitter (laughs) at Fran Harris that's most of my handles that's my handle for you know Facebook all that good stuff LinkedIn of course If you're looking for some professional connections and definitely um, connect with me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, and then you can check out what I do at FranHarris.com, which is my main branding website, FranHarris.com, or you can take some of my courses at FranHarrisUniversity.com.
1: Okay. And so if I want to be the next Jamel Hill, I can contact you for advice
0: on that. Yep, you can. You can. There are many ways to do it. There are many ways to get there. Uh, you know the world is open from a broadcasting standpoint because of the internet so yeah i'd I'd be happy to give you some ideas about how you get there
1: okay and i was speaking for me i really do want to be
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's great yep Yep. okay
1: so one last question fill in the blank um being a ut austin alumna means
0: being a ut alumni means connections it means family and it means legacy. You've been listening to the Texas X's Black Alumni Network podcast. If you like to be a guest on the show, tweet hashtag Texas X to Black Texas them!